start young because there are just certain things that we learn from a young age that are sometimes hard to learn later on in life. My advice would be to learn everything you possibly can, you know, up until the point that, you know, you're 30 years old. I mean, literally learn everything you can, you know, learn how to hang a shelf, learn how to fix a toilet, learn how to, you know, budget, you know, personal expenses, learn how to serve a plate. I mean, these are all things that may sound silly, but there, there's an art to everything that we do. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have my friend, Nicholas Milo, the District Manager of New Development Properties for KW Property Management and Consulting. Nicholas, thanks for joining me. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Well, Nicholas, you've heard the podcasts. We get right into it here. What was your first job in hospitality? Thank you. Uh, there's been a lot, but my first job, I was actually a busser or back in the day, they called it a bus boy. I think the mm -hmm. title's changed since then, uh, but I was a bus boy at a very small uh, family owned restaurant and bar in New York. And what was that called? Do you remember the name? Of course. Of course. It was a family business. It's uh, uh, technically called uh, West Hampton Beach Restaurant LTD. But the DBA is Joe's American Grill. It's in West Hampton Beach, New York. Now, whose family was that? Was that your family or was it somebody else's family? No, no, no. It was it was my family. My father was a uh, chef. He, he took on a few professions, uh, which didn't work out well for him. So luckily, he 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 uh, moved into restaurants, but he was actually a, a, a trained chef at the Culinary Institute of America. And back in 1981, he had an opportunity to purchase a very small property. Uh, it was a kind of a failing business at the time. And he basically spent, you know, seven days a week, 24 seven to, to turn the business around. And that was really what I grew up in. It was not something I had a choice per se. It was, it was, it was a requirement. And so that was pretty much my, my earliest memories of my life. Uh, working in that restaurant, and it was busser, host, dishwasher, uh, 
uh, salad prep, all at a very, very, very young age. Times have changed a little bit since then. How old were you when you started? Again, my first memories, <laughs> I was I was probably walking around the dining room in, in you know, my pajamas at some point. But I think I, I probably took, you know, my first, uh, you know, bust my first table. I was probably six or seven years old. Look at you. That's like getting my daughter going right now. I'm, wow. I'm trying to inspire kids at a very young age nowadays <laughs> as well. So, you know, a lot of people who start out in their family business like that sometimes don't love it. Did you end up liking it or did you regret it some days? Like, what was that like as you were coming up? Because you were doing it in high school, I'm guessing, too, like middle school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, I actually I'm, I'm the youngest of, of two brothers and, you know, my older brother, you know, he was kind of forced into it as well. And, and I don't think it clicked so well with him as it, as it did with me. Really, I, I just saw it as as kind of normal and natural. Maybe it was the younger sibling in me that, you know, liked when people smiled at him. You know, I got, you know, that positive reinforcement when I would, you know, clean tables or when I would take menus and walk guests over to to a table. And I mean, you know, how often do you get a seven or eight year old, you know, host who, who sits you down at a table? <laughs> it's probably, it's a pretty cute thing. So, you know, I just remember you know, hospitality just came, came really natural. And so my father had it for, uh, I mean, still has it today. My father passed away uh, eight years ago and uh, it still is in the family. It's a very small business, but it is the type of business where, you know, one could really learn not just hospitality, but what does it mean to have a great work ethic? I mean, you really learn all facets of the business from not just customer service, but the product in the food and beverage. And as I got older, you know, I was really fortunate to, to start in restaurants at a young age because as I got older, you know, I was able to, to work obviously in restaurants in different markets. My parents split when I was nine years old. And so I, I did move around a lot uh, with my mother. And luckily, you know, in every single city and every single market in, in this country, there is a restaurant out there. And so I continued to, to work in different restaurants, some corporate restaurants, some mom and pop restaurants, front of house, heart of house, uh, New York, Florida, Texas, uh, really all the way up until uh, I ultimately went to went to college. And so lucky, lucky for restaurants, it was able to um, allow me to, to not just learn, but make some money and, and, and put that money towards a little bit of college education, bills and at college and things like that. So when you went to college, was it, hey, I want to be in hospitality because it's in my blood? Or were you studying something different when you went away to school? It's a good question. You know, people people have asked me a lot, you know, they're like, oh, I assume that, you know, you studied hospitality. You went to school for hospitality. Well, you know, in the first part, yes, I did study hospitality. I, I grew up in it. I, I grew up in the in the in the business my entire life, but I never went to school specifically for hospitality, you know, for somebody who, you know, has a different, you know, background than me, it, it, it may be a good fit for them. But for me, it wasn't a good fit to go, you know, apply myself to college to learn about the hospitality business, because I, I already had that foundation. And so I ultimately decided that I wanted to pursue a business management degree, you know, just get a bachelor's in business administration, uh, my focus was was management and marketing 
I also uh, studied Spanish as well. But I remember at the time that I did choose that I did not know what I wanted to do in my career. I knew that I, I really enjoyed restaurants, catering, you know, that side of the business. But it wasn't until college that I, I decided that I, I kind of wanted to evolve it even more. And uh, I think it was like my first or second year of, of university where I decided that although I'm, I'm good on the food and beverage side and I, I enjoy it so much, and it's a passion and interest of mine, and that'll never go away. I, I didn't want to limit myself. I kind of wanted to, I guess, diversify myself a little bit more. And so it was when I was in college, that I decided that I wanted to then move into hotels and uh, learn all areas of that business as well. So I did work in food and beverage all throughout college. I was a full-time student and I had one or two different jobs at a time, but it wasn't until I graduated college that I officially made the move over to hotels. Now in our team's research here, mm -hmm. we found that maybe it could have been a different path. Were you ever going to be a, a, a hockey coach at any time? Was that something <laughs> on your radar or was that just something you did during college? It was something I did during college. I had a college for a couple college friends who were on the hockey team and, uh, and they needed a coach. And uh, I, I grew up playing sports. And, and like I said, I had an older brother who, got me into sports at a young age. So uh, I became the hockey coach. So I went to the University of Albany. Uh, we we're a D uh, uh, division one school. And we had a competitive, uh, we had two competitive hockey teams, ice hockey and roller hockey. And I wow. was the head coach of roller hockey. I was actually considering joining the team, but I broke my ankle uh, my, my, my senior year of college and I still wanted to be part of it. But that was a very, very good opportunity and good experience as well you know, managing a, a group of, you know, college dudes uh, mm -hmm. playing sports. And, you know, we traveled to different, you know, different states around New England. And, and it was a it was a pretty competitive deal. But no, I didn't take my coach. I mean, I didn't take my coaching career anywhere after that, other than just applying it into the workplace, which, as you know, we're, we're always coaches. And oh, listen, a born leader. I could see it. you're already coaching young men at a young age. <laughs> yeah. Don't so ask for what our record was. <laughs> Uh, so you get out of school, do you jump right into hotels right away? Um, so, so you worked for some great companies, but did you just jump right in or what did you do? So I actually have a, a pretty good story about how I ultimately did move into hotels and, and, you know, I wish more youth now, I, I, I hope it kind of resonates with some folks, but you know, about midway through college that I decided that I did want to actually work in hotels, uh, but I didn't know what the best approach would be to, to, to move into hotels. Should I a you know use my food and beverage experience and maybe apply for a restaurant or an F and B job in a hotel, or or B should I kind of go a different route and and apply for you know a position in a department that I hadn't seen yet, and so before I really made my decision, I, I wanted to you know get the input from other uh, others who who are in the hotel industry, and so no lie. Uh, I remember I was in college and when I had, you know, some days off from school and some days off from work, I actually walked door to door to hotels in the Albany market, no appointments, no meetings. And, and I would go to the front desk and I would ask if a manager was around or a general manager was around. And, you know, people thought I was looking for a job. And and, and honestly, it wasn't I wasn't looking for a, a job. I, I was just looking to network and, and, and learn from others. So I think I ended up probably walking into, you know, maybe 10 hotels in a couple weeks period. And I actually did connect with, I remember I spoke with a housekeeping manager. 
I spoke with a couple of general managers. I spoke to a front office manager and I asked them all kind of the same question. I, I said, you know, it, you know, for somebody that has, you know, some relevant experience, a little bit of management experience who wants to really grow in hotels, how would you, you know, hotel professionals, how would you recommend uh, I, I apply myself? And like everybody, everybody that I spoke with, they said, you want to learn how hotels work? Go, go, go to a front desk uh, because that's the area that really touches the hotel. That's kind of the, 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 the heart of, of where everything flows through in the business and you start there and then you'll figure out where you want to go. Because, you know, I said, you know, I have this F&B experience. Should I apply F&B or should I go elsewhere? And they said, go, go work at the front desk and then you'll figure out where, you know, where you want to then continue in hotels. So I actually did that. I walked door to door to a number of hotels. I talked to some managers and that was the collective advice that I received from all of them. And so before I graduated, I did my research on hotel companies specifically. Actually, my, my senior year of college, I had to do a, you know, end of year business report on, you know, choose an industry and take, you know, three publicly traded companies and do a full kind of analysis on them. So I picked hotels. I did analysis on uh, Marriott, uh, Starwood at the time, you know, they merged with Marriott. And what I found out was, you, you know, Due to my upbringing, you know, kind of being more of a, you know, mom and pop, you know, smaller type company guy from my restaurant days, I actually found one hotel company that I wanted to pursue. That company is Omni Hotels and Resorts. Uh, the reason why I wanted to pursue that is because at the time they had a, a, a decent portfolio, about 50 or 60 properties. This was 2010. And they had corporate offices in, in Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I had some, some family that lived there. And I knew that, you know, after college, I, I probably wanted to move back to Dallas where I had a little bit of roots and, you know, could have some, some support if needed. And I also found out that this company, Omni Hotels and Resorts, had a leadership in development program, other hotel companies like a, like a manager and training program. So I thought that'd be great. So I actually applied for that position at a property in Dallas. I interviewed for it. I didn't end up getting it. They went with somebody that had more hotel experience, but I, I, I was persistent enough and I continued to apply myself. And ultimately I did get a job with Omni Hotels. I was the most enthusiastic, proud and, and happy front desk agent that they'd probably ever had. And, uh, and that was really how I started my career. And so that, that's how I entered hotels. Yeah, we unpacked a lot in that journey. And I love hearing it because there's a lot of unique things that you did, which I think a lot of people can learn from. And, you know, I want to get into your story here, especially with Omni. But when you're walking into these hotels, you know, I can imagine some someone young coming in. Do you think they can still do it that way? What was the pitch that you had when you got to the front desk that maybe someone can use or maybe they can do it via LinkedIn or how would you encourage someone to do that now? It's a great question. I would do it the exact same way because it's not something you see too often. You know, I mean, there are still those people out there who do kind of go door to door, but specifically looking for jobs. But, you know, how often do people go door to door, you know, sit in lobbies, you know, wait, you know, maybe a manager passes by, maybe you just have a couple minutes of their time to really ask the questions. Now in, in my career, if, if there was anybody who walked into any of my establishments with that type of attitude, I would definitely make time to sit down with them. I think that we get 
you know, obviously really comfortable, you know, using technology to our advantage, you know, LinkedIn's great. Social media is great. You can learn a lot that way. But as you know, Steve, in, in, in this industry, you, you want people who are comfortable, you know, interacting with others in a very interpersonal you know, manner. So I, I would take the same approach. It's not something you see every day. I love it. I think that's great advice for anybody listening, especially if you're on the more senior side to give that time to somebody coming through. And if you're on the younger side, go after it. So you're at Omni, you start at the front desk and you have a great career there because you do move up quickly and you get to travel the country. You know, I don't want to talk about every single role, but I want to talk about right when you become manager for the first time. So I think it's when you became an assistant front office manager in Dallas. Is that correct? When you first became a manager? It's correct. It's the AFOM, the AFOM, the assistant front office manager. And so what was that like when you first make that jump? Because for a lot of people, you know, they think, oh, I'm going to be the manager and life will be mm -hmm. that much easier. But what was mm -hmm. it like for you when you got there? It was amazing. I saw it as an extension of, of, of school, you know, an extension of learning. And and the reason I, I think that I moved, you know, up, I, I wouldn't say quickly, but if somebody looked at a timeline, they would think quickly. You know, I was I was the person who, you know, would come in on my days off and and study, you know, uh, front desk checklist. You know, anybody who's listening who you know has worked at hotels know how important that checklist is. You know, I, I took the time to, to learn each task, how to do it the best way possible, how to train others. What are the reasons why we do it? I would come in on my days off and study financials. I would come in on my days off and, you know, cross train with other departments. And so, you know, if, if you know, the average you know person was putting, you know, 40 hours of work in and, you know, I was putting, you know, 60 hours plus uh, because I was, you know, enthusiastic about it and saw it really as an extension of learning. I, I think that's kind of what sets people apart. You know, you're either, you know, average or you're self-directed enough to prepare yourself, you know, for the next role. Right. I mean, that's great advice, you know, for listeners, if you just listen back to that part of an extension of learning, that's really what it is when you're coming up and starting mm -hmm. in the industry is learning as much mm -hmm. as you can about every area. But, you know, part of your journey was doing task force in different cities. Mm -hmm. Was that something you enjoyed doing? Did they tell you you had to, or did you raise your hand and say, Hey, I want to go do this. Yeah. All of the above. So I, I was with the company for about for a little under five years. And, you know, my first three years, I, I did work at one hotel, the Omni Mandalay. It was originally a Four Seasons hotel. And when the company purchased it, they also moved their corporate offices essentially across the street. And so this one hotel within the portfolio had, you know, the single owner, Bob Rowling, you know, coming in for lunch regularly had corporate executives coming in and out, you know, routinely. And so I was so fortunate to start at that property because, you know, the level of service standards that they had were, were definitely at the, at the top of, of the portfolio. So it was a great start there. I was at that property for about three years and, you know, probably a year and a half in, of course, I, I raised my hand. I was, you know, single and, and all I wanted to really focus on was my career. And I raised my hand and said, you know, count me in for any task force. I know we're buying properties, we're, we're acquiring properties, we need help at other properties, count me in. And I really wasn't given the opportunity, you know, for another year and a half or so. But in that, you know, waiting period, I continued to study, I continued to educate myself, I continued to cross train with other departments. So that way, when the time comes, whether it's a day, a year, you know, four years from now, just better prepare myself. So 
an opportunity did present itself. It was a housekeeping manager position, the hotel that they managed in New York City, the Omni Berkshire in Midtown Manhattan. Obviously, I have you know, some family in New York and, and, and love the city, so took the opportunity and, 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 and rolled with it. And then for the next couple of years, I did some task force assignments with the company, uh, Asheville, North Carolina, big resort there. Uh, I worked housekeeping department. Also Houston, more of a business center type hotel. I worked uh, front office there. And so, you know, for the first three years, I was kind of stationed at one property, learning everything I possibly could about the business. And then for the next couple of years, I uh, was doing task force assignments at some of their other properties. And I, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's the best experience that I, I, I probably ever had. What advice would you give to somebody going through task force? Because it's hard. You're going into properties mm-hmm. where some people have been there a long time. And usually they need task force because they're missing help. What advice would you give to somebody coming through on task force at a it's young great. age? It's a great question. You don't get sent to do task force at the, the pretty properties that are well-oiled. You know, there's a reason why you go there if they need task force. Usually they need a lot of help. And so, you know, go into it with an open mind, uh, go into it with the understanding and sensitivity that there are others there who do work there full time. So how can you be the best resource for them? Because ultimately, if you come in and want to enact change, whether it's cultural systems, processes, if you don't have that buy-in from the folks there, you're not going to be successful and you're going to get pushed away. So like any new job, come into it, you know, focus just on relationships, observe. And after a little bit of time, you know, understand what are the objectives and, you know, strategically, you know, interject yourself to fill any holes or gaps that they might have. If you're committed close to family, if, if traveling is not something that, you know, you can do personally, you know, health, family, whatever, probably not a good fit. So do it if you can and when you can, you know, and I had to stop because I, I met the love of my life and, and she basically said no more task force for you. So I said, okay, okay understood. And, uh, that's, okay. and that, that was the end of my task force phase. <laughs> so listen, you, your last position there was assistant director of housekeeping. And you, like you said, you're there four and a half years, but now you make this interesting change. And it's the pattern that we're going to notice in your career journey. But I think one that a lot of people have been asking about recently because it's becoming more and more popular. You make a change to which company? So I I made a change and and moved over to residential property management. Uh, Initially, I moved over to first service residential in Dallas, Texas. And so why make that change? Because you're on this trajectory with Mm -hmm. a great company. Mm -hmm. What happens that you decide to say, hey, you know what? I want to check this out. Was it something personal? What, What happens? Great. So my whole time with with Omni, you know, there were other managers who left hotels, moved to residential and said, Nick, you, you got to come so much better. Um, but at the time, you know, I, and I believe them. But at the time I said, you know what, I, I really need to just commit myself. I needed to show my my loyalty, my tenure. I need to kind of stay focused on this road for the next few years. But the reason why I did ultimately make the change is because, you know, something happened in my personal life. I kind of mentioned it, but my father uh, you know, suddenly passed away. And at that moment, I, I had to kind of hit pause on my hotel career. And I had to focus on some family matters. But after all that kind of settled, I needed to, you know, decide, you know, what do I go back to do? You know, what, what do I want to do with my career? And I ultimately decided to move over to the residential side, because it would be a new industry for me. You know, so my upbringing was F&B. 
And then I moved to hotels and now I'm moving over to condo management. The cool thing about these industries is there's so many related tasks, skill set, and duties that transfer really well over to all these industries. I thought it was a great move for me because, you know, I could take all of my strengths that I already gained and apply them day one, but then learn all the new stuff. And, you know, moving over to, to residential management, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but great industry, tons of really great benefits just from a career and development standpoint. But that's, 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 that's why I did that. It was, you know, kind of that new chapter in my life, you know, something happened personally. And I said, maybe it's a time to make a, a career move as well. That's no, an interesting part of the journey. And I want to talk about that more, the differences while we get to your current position, but you're there a good chunk of time. You're there two years. You learn that industry really well. And then like we all know, hospitality always keeps calling us back. Hotels mm -hmm. always call us back and you join another great company mm -hmm. uh, with Thompson Hotels in Chicago. How does that come about? Thompson Hotels in Chicago. So, so moved to that property because uh, my wife and I uh, were making a personal move to Chicago. So essentially she was with a, a, a restaurant group, different company. She had done really, really well in, in the Dallas market, and they were opening up two locations in Chicago, and they wanted her to help open those two locations. So as supportive as she was to me in, in my hotel career, uh, I, of course, wanted to, to, to be supportive of her. And so we moved to Chicago as a, as, a, as a means of her to progress in her career, and I took the opportunity to you know, reach out to some of the hotel folks that I had networked with up to that point. And I was introduced to a general manager uh, of this hotel, Thompson Chicago. They happened to be hiring a, a, a number two, a, a director of operations for the hotel. And we hit it off really, really well. You know, I fit with the brand well. I, I fit with him and the team really well. And, and, and that's, that's how I joined uh, the, Thompson, the Thompson team in Chicago. And what did it feel like? Did you have to like get some rust off of you definitely. jumping back into the hotels from being <laughs> yeah. in residential? Definitely. Definitely. So yeah, absolutely. I was, I was really nervous and I, and I reached out to, because not only am I coming back to hotels, but I'm moving to a different market in Chicago. But at this point I have not been a rooms executive at any of my hotels. I, right. I I'd reached kind of the department head level, mm -hmm. but I hadn't been a rooms executive and this was an executive position. And so I was absolutely nervous, but initially I, I, I was successful in that role. And a lot of that success, I actually attribute to moving over to residential property management. And I'll tell you why, because in the hotel business, especially in the operations departments, you're focused so heavily on the transient, the demand, the ins and the outs, right? You know, anybody works operations, it's like you live for the Friday check-in, you know, the mm -hmm. Sunday checkout, you know, the heavy group arrival, depart, all that. So you spend so much of your time focusing on the demand of the business at that time. When you move over to residential property management, you actually open up your, your, your you take your blinders off and you get this whole new perspective of the business. And that's kind of the cool thing about residential management is like hotels, we have high end luxury, we have, you know, a little bit more limited serve, but if you work at a, at a luxury condo building, it has all those departments. It has, you know, you have 
front desk and valet and, and loading dock and all those operating departments. But the benefit of being, you know, a manager in residential uh, property management is you're not just honed in on one area. You really do manage the entire property and you really manage the whole business. Now, we don't have the, the sales and top line revenue factors in residential management like we do in hotels. And so in residential management, you're just focused on the business. So you can really kind of perfect your craft. You can perfect, you know, human resources, you know, employee engagement and training, you know, customer service. Your customers don't check in and out. They're there. And so you really do have to be on top of your game. You have to really perfect your craft because if you don't, your, your, your customers are going to just see it. And so I attribute the success I had in a hotel executive role because for the few years prior at condo management, I was able to learn more about, you know, vendor contracts and what to look for property insurance and coverages, you know, capital projects with the engineer, you know, building maintenance. How does the equipment work? How does the, the, the property actually run? Not just the front of house and service, but everything behind the scenes. And so it was all those things that led to, to ultimately being successful uh, back in the hotel rooms executive role. So when you were sitting there at your first exec meeting, you know, we know all those exec meetings. Sometimes they can be a little nerve wracking. Were you nervous or were you coming in there pretty confident? Like, all right, I can do this. I know these, these standards and what to do here. <laughs> uh, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. So what I recommend to, to anybody else who moves into a new role, take all of the strengths that you have and all the skill set that you have prior to this position and, and, and apply them. If, if a rooms executive is managing a housekeeping department and a front desk department and all the guest services department, well, you know, I, I worked in all those areas, so I already had all that experience and I could relate to all the team members, you know, so I probably had 80% of, of what was needed in the job initially. So go in with confidence, you know, work off of the strengths that you have and over time, identify those areas that you need more growth and, and put an action plan together to, you know, train and, and learn those new tasks and duties. Now I want to get to the part where our journeys cross and you come on down to Miami beach to the historic Eden rock hotel and also the Nobu hotel, two hotels and one address. Mm -hmm. And you were the complex director of rooms there. And you know, I know we've maybe talked about this, but I don't know the whole story of why did you come down to Miami beach and how did we end up being on the same team? <laughs> <laughs> so why Miami beach? Because after two winters in Chicago, my wife said we have to move. That's honest. That's honestly the reason why we had to move to warm weather. Why Miami or Miami Beach? You know, it, it was one of the cities that, you know, at the time we were, we hadn't settled down yet. We were still kind of learning different markets and trying to figure out what was best for us. And Miami was really attractive in a lot of different, you know, for a lot of reasons other than just the weather, you know, ton of hospitality businesses down here. And I, I saw a, a rooms executive role. Well, let me stop that for a second. I had done some some research. There were, you know, Nobu Hotels was kind of an up and coming hotel group at the time. You know, Eden Rock had the historical element to it, you know, being there since the 50s. And there happened to be, you know, a rooms executive position open. I applied. And I think luckily, since our friend in HR also had ties to Chicago, that probably helped out a little bit as well. But I got a phone call and, and, and you know the rest. Yeah. Shout out to Christy. 
Shout out uh, to Christy for bringing us, bringing you in. So what do you remember about starting there? Cause that was a challenging hotel, at least in my point of view, what was it for your point of view? Sure. So the culture shock immediately and, and, and specifically related to hospitality. You know, I, I think there's a lot of folks who, who come down to Miami and experience it. The hospitality that maybe they receive in restaurants, hotels, those types of business in other markets is not as, you know, service focused here in Miami. So that was, that was really the biggest challenge for me was the culture shock. A little bit laid back, Steve, as you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of a different world down here, right? Yeah. He's my dad's joke all the time is it was ask him, his buddies from Charlotte, like, what's it like living in Miami? He said, I love it. It's so close to the United States. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So that was, that was hands down the biggest, you know, culture shock, you know, to me and, and, and biggest challenge, but every place has every, everywhere has its own challenges. Yeah. So for listeners, just to paint the picture, Nicholas had his office directly across from mine and we would get excited about things. We would vent about things. We would argue about things, but we were on the same team making the place better. And I think we left that hotel better than when we started there. But what would you tell people when they're coming into a challenging place, all new executives really coming in because a brand new team, a hotel in transition. What's some advice you would tell people coming into something like that? Before moving into it, do your homework, you know, vet it out. You know, nowadays you can go online and look at, you know, reviews from the customers. You can look at reviews from prior employees. You know, there's certain websites where actual employ employees, you know, post reviews. So, you know, do your homework, just do some research about, you know, the property, maybe it made the news, you know, the history of, of, of the business and, and don't ever move into a position until, you know, all of your questions have been answered. And so, you know, a great, a really, really great experience I had, you know, moving into the Nobu and Eden Rock was that, you know, the GM at the time and, and, and our HR director at the time, they were very transparent. You know, they said, look, you know, here's kind of the list of, of opportunities we have. And they were fully transparent. So we had a, a lot of really good dialogue before ultimately making that commitment. That's true. And what are some things that you remember from that place when we were working together? Were there any things that you were excited about that you accomplished there? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, so first off, for somebody being new to Miami, just learning about the, the historical component of that property and the surrounding area was just super, super fascinating to me. Yeah, we would nerd out. We would nerd out on the history. Absolutely. I'm from Miami, Miami Beach, and Nick was learning about it. And so we were always trading stories and sharing books too. Like, mm -hmm. I love that part. That was fun. So that was fun. And, and I, I felt like we owed it to ourselves, but we also owed it to the property to try to bring back, you know, elements of, of luxury for the guests to experience and for the staff to experience. And so, you know, when we brought in that analytics tool to, to actually show guest revenate, yeah, revenate, yeah, guest experience mm -hmm. improving. And, and we were able to pinpoint, you know, the, the, the specific items that our guests, you know, appreciated and other items that were more opportunities. I think just, you know, we were able to strategize and, and, and provide to all areas of the business, um, areas of opportunity. And then we, you know, we, we followed up with positive reinforcement when we saw that, you know, different areas were improving. So we both had a short stint there, mine shorter than yours and for different reasons, but I want to talk about where you're at today, because I think it's going to be exciting to talk about that. So you leave 
the hotel and you join what type of company now? Let's follow the pattern. So the company I work with now is KW Property Management and Consulting. So I, hotel to or start small business with your family, oh, hotel, sure. property management, hotels, back to property management. Back so. to property management. So when I first when I first moved to Miami and I had that kind of culture shock that I described, mm-hmm. I was just absolutely amazed by the city. You, you know, you can look across the skyline and see like 20 cranes, you know, just building, you know, new development. Yeah, um, listen there, I'm looking out my window right now and I can mm-hmm. count, count 12. It's right? it's it's absolutely wild. And so, you know, I was I was fascinated by you know, the architecture of some of these high rise buildings, I would walk into some of these buildings and really just be fascinated by, you know, the design on the interiors. And because I had such a great experience a few years prior moving to condo management, I actually kind of knew, you know, after moving to Miami, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to get back into condo management. And so again, I, I really vetted out the companies, you know, my, my last employer, you know, first service, they probably would have been, you know, happy to, to bring me on board. But I, I specifically did my research. I used websites like Glassdoor and LinkedIn, looked at what employees were saying about properties. I kind of scoured some of the nicer buildings in the market. I found out who was managing those properties and kind of all roads led to KW Property Management and Consulting. You know, I, I, I go onto the company's website and they, they actually list out, you know, a lot of their culture elements, like their mission statement. It's very clear. Their core values is really clear. You know, their, their pillars of, you know, their three pillars of the business, really, really clear. And for me, you know, working for a company that does have that, call it rich culture, that company culture, at least you know, gives you kind of a reason to, 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 to do the work that you do. That was always something that was super, super important to me. Maybe it's from, you know, working in the mom and pop at a young age, but the, the, the cultural component was, was huge for me. So I, I reached out to one company and one company alone and they returned my phone call and, and I, and I, and I joined, uh, I joined uh, shortly, you know, kind of, kind of around the COVID time, you know, I'd been speaking with them prior to COVID and, and ultimately, you know, join them right around, uh, you know, early, early 2020. And, you know, it's amazing because I've met some of the senior leaders. I've had the pleasure of meeting them through you and what you're talking about. They're all amazing. Everyone I've met there. And to see that they have 90,000 units under contract is also unbelievable, but also some of the nicest buildings, like you mentioned. And so that's what I wanted to touch on is you see these ultra luxury buildings that are being built, especially in South Florida here right now that you all are managing can you express like the difference between hotels and these residences because in my head they're similar in certain ways but then i feel like maybe there's some benefits to not working in a luxury hotel and there is some positives to working in a luxury residence am i right with that or is it am i off you are you are and sorry for all my hotel friends but yes there's plenty of pros of working in residential management over hotels you know i I touched on it before but you know Hotels, and Steve, you know this, but hotels, let's take budgeting just as an example. Hotels, they want to put out their annual budget. Well, what's the first thing they do? Well, they look at what their top line revenue is going to be. What's their room counts going to be? So it's really kind of a a top down approach to their business plan, right? Mm -hmm. And all the operating departments kind of are, 
are secondary to that top line. Well, condominiums are not-for-profit companies. So they're not in the business to, to, to make money. The way that condos build their business plans is, is bottom-up, meaning, you know, hey, we have this, this property. Do we want elevators? Do we want landscaping? Do we want staff, right? So you're basically building it from bottom up. And ultimately, you'll get to where, you know, each condo's board of director, you know, approves. And, and that's really the business plan. So for a young professional or even, I mean, it doesn't have to be a young professional, but, you know, anybody in their career who is interested in learning, growing, I mean, it's a business. It is it is 100% a business without that kind of stress of hitting a certain sales number without that fluctuating demand in, 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 in transient business. So it really allows the people who are working at these residential properties, the ability to perfect their craft, you know, business management, it's an art, you know, there are people who are absolutely exceptional at numbers and there are people who are not, there are people who are actually exceptional at, you know, providing customer service and, and not. And so, you know, these are the types of environments being in, in, in condo, condo buildings, in particular, those luxury condos that really do have those operating departments like a luxury hotel would have. Mm-hmm. However, take all the demand out, take all of the, the transients out, take all those check-ins and check-outs out, and just focus on the business. And if you can, you know, learn and develop in, in all these different areas of the business, it, it is such a rewarding it's such a rewarding industry i was really impressed so i got to walk with nicholas through one of these luxury buildings called the elise where i think the starting for sale right now is like four million for the first one bedroom in there what is it like you know making sure that the residents have a great experience is it different than a hotel because you you knew everybody you're walking through there like not the mayor, but you just knew everyone's name. You knew their personalities. You knew what they liked. It was great to see. What's the difference? Well, I mean, you just said it, and that's that's one of the many, many benefits. You know, you you know your customers in these buildings. And the advice that I give to new employees when they start with us is, first and foremost, you will get to meet all of your residents, okay? Do not focus on that first, First, let's focus on the processes. Let's focus on the standards, okay? Because the relationships, that will come. And as we all know, relationships grow over time. So I have seen in years prior, new employees join a a condo building. And the first thing that they want to do is learn everybody in the building. Don't do that. Not good practice. No, no, no. Like we have systems, we have standard operating procedures. There's a lot to learn in this industry. So come in, learn the foundation and know that the relationships will come because the unique part about a residential customer versus a hotel customer is, you know, the hotel customer, you're going to see them once they're going to leave. Maybe they're repeat, but what do they want from you? They want something from you, right? Maybe it's, an upgrade. Maybe it's a discount on their room rate. Like they, they want something from you. Okay. Here in the residential building, there's this ability to, to bring a mutual benefit. 
in that you as a professional put in your time and effort to improve the property from a maintenance service financial standpoint. So you, you as a, as an individual and professional, you are improving yourself as a result that benefits the experience, the financial condition of the building, the longevity of the equipment of the building. So mutually benefits, you know, the resident or the owner there. And so this is very much a mutually benefiting industry for professionals and for those residents who do live in these types of buildings. That's great advice, especially for someone like me who has not worked in a residential building like that. You'd be great at it. Yeah. Well, who knows? We'll see where this career goes. <laughs> but for you, what are you most excited about working now? I want to say like the next five years, but in the next year or two, what's most exciting for you and the company mm-hmm. you're working with? I think experience up to up to this point has been really creating a team and creating a culture in like an individual building. Okay. So, you know, when I was hired on this company as the general manager of a, of a new opening project, I had a wonderful opportunity to, you know, recruit, hire, create processes, create culture, you know, use the company for, you know, as great, great support, but really kind of create, you know, what is, you know, that building that, that you had mentioned. That was always the most exciting part to me. You know, I touched on the culture shock that I had, you know, when I first moved to Miami and I, I said that will not happen in, in, in any property or any team that, that I put together. No, you know, we, we, we will be better. Uh, we will be the best. You know, what am I most excited for? Well, I, you know, over the last year, I moved into a, a new role with the company. I, I am a, a, a district manager of the new development properties. So what does that mean? I support a portfolio of about eight or so properties, which are in different stages of their life. So, you know, early, early on, we have what's called pre-construction. And so pre-construction is these developers reach out to us and they say, hey, this is our vision. This is our dream. We need somebody to create our budgets and provide us with operational input design plan layout consultation and we'll do that and so we will kind of create the budget and the business plan give that to those developers and they'll file with the county and that is the pre-construction phase so they haven't even broke ground yet okay then i have about i have a a few properties in that phase and then uh, we have another few properties that are in the construction phase so these are you know, if you go around Miami, you see the cranes, you see the buildings going up. That's the construction phase, obviously. You know, we have a, 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 a little input here and there, but but essentially, you know, the developer and their general contractor are building that building. Then we get to the pre-opening phase. And this is where we come in again, kind of on an, an intense standpoint, because we have to plan all of the operational processes, you know, the recruiting efforts, you know, consult on, you know, ordering of supplies, polish the vision, and then ultimately execute the vision. So this is the the pre-opening phase. Then we have the opening and operating phase. So that's after the building actually opens. And it's a it's an empty building. You know, most of the time it's still a little bit of a construction site, but the developer then, you know, closes on units and then we meet the new residents, the new owners. We want to have a really great 
you know, orientation with them. And we want to start the relationship off right. And we want to show them that, you know, we're the best at what we do in our industry. It's definitely rocky, you know, from the beginning, because, you know, you're trying to create, you know, a luxury environment in, in, in what's a little bit of a construction site. So, you know, educating our staff is really important. Being there to support them is really important. And then educating the owners and residents who come in is, is, is critical as well. And so then we go from opening to, you know, turning it over, meaning the developer essentially, you know, hands the building off to the new owners. And so these are kind of all of the stages within these new development properties. And, and like I said, the, the portfolio that I support uh, about eight properties, they fall within this, within these stages. It's amazing to see this journey. I appreciate you laying it out so detailed because I didn't know all of those stages, but you're with these buildings from before they're even drawn out, really. You're in there from the beginning. And to see someone then arrive at their new home to make memories of their own for a lifetime has got to be a special journey. What is it like when they're first coming in there? Is it a headache because everyone's moving in and you don't know if like the plumbing's working or is it usually pretty good because you guys have tried everything out? It all depends on the mentality that you have. Seriously, it all depends on the mentality that, that that you have and you bring. So the idea is, is when you meet these owners for the first time, you you're transparent with them. You let them know that you're with them. You're on their side. You know, you, you're on the same team. You know, we want what's we want exactly the same thing that the owners want. And we're going to help facilitate, you know, this this construction to kind of finish off. So that way we can ultimately, you know, uh, live in and work in the, the, the building that, that they were expecting. Usually it takes about a year from the building opening to the point that the dust kind of settles. Most of it's related to construction. But at the same time, you know, my team and I, we can't work in the building until it opens. So... You know, for an existing property, we have, you know, resident website, mobile app, you know, a lot of systems set up. A lot of the times we, we can't set those up until the building opens. Right. And so we put ourselves in the in the new owner's shoes as best we can. But then we also educate them on, you know, putting themselves kind of in our shoes. It really is a collective effort between, you know, the team who's who's working there at the building and, and the new residents and owners who are moving in. I love it. It's a unique spot in the hospitality industry because mm -hmm. at heart, that's what it is, right? If we go back to our, our Kokoro, the heart, the spirit. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. But Nick, Nicholas, I appreciate you, you know, spending so much time with me today. I do have one last question for you. So if young Nicholas was uh, done being the hockey coach and coming onto your team and coming into <laughs> your team today, what advice would you give him if he was starting out today? Mm -hmm. Sure. So I would advise any professional or, or, or mentor, start young. Start young because there are just certain things that we learn from a young age that are sometimes hard to learn later on in life. My advice would be to learn everything you possibly can, you know, up until the point that, you know, you're 30 years old. I mean, literally learn everything you can, you know, learn how to hang a shelf, learn how to fix a toilet, learn how to, you know, budget, you know, personal expenses, learn how to serve a plate. I mean, these are all things that may sound silly, but there, there's an art to everything that we do. So learn everything you possibly can from a very young age 
uh, develop a good work ethic. So that way, when the time, when the time is right, maybe it's 25 years old, 30 years old, 35, 50 years old, it's different for everybody. But if you've now spent your whole life learning as much as you possibly can, you start to realize what you enjoy doing and what brings you and, and, and what brings you joy, then you can apply everything you've learned to the right, to the correct career for you. And that's why I love doing what I do. You know, I, I, I will always have an interest in passion in food and beverage. I, I, I don't work in it every day, but when the company or, or, or some owners want to, you know, host a dinner or a private event or something like that, it, it gets me excited. You know, I'm not doing it every single day, but from time to time we do all the fun stuff that, you know, we used to do in hotels, you know, y- you can apply that in, in, in residential property management. And I think one, one more thing I'll say is, you know, so, so learn everything you possibly can. Don't ever stop learning. You don't know everything. Okay. I, I once had a, you know, a 60 year old, you know, man who I, who I managed at one point tell me, Nicholas, every day we learn and he couldn't have been more, more true. So, so learn as much as you can and then diversify yourself. I think, you know, when COVID hit, you know, I had a lot of hotel friends reaching out to me because they knew I'd worked in condos before and, and I was doing that again. And they all said, oh, I'm going to get my condo license. You know, I'm, I'm going to go do that. Well, well, great. You know, don't let a pandemic, you know, lead you to that decision. I mean, you can always diversify yourself. You can always educate yourself. And it goes back to learning. And so if you diversify yourself and now you can kind of work in these different industries or these different businesses, then you just become that much more of a, of an invaluable kind of resource to a company. Yeah, I think, gosh, I think that's great advice. You, I think you hit the nail on the head in a lot of things. And I know a lot of listeners that will hit home. So Nicholas, I appreciate you spending the time with us today. I'm very grateful. I know how busy you are, especially in your day to day. It means a lot for you to be here. If somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way for someone to do that? Absolutely. Thanks, Steve. So reach out to me via LinkedIn. I, I'm, I'm on it, you know, almost, almost daily. I definitely would, would love to hear from you. You know, our, our industry, it's growing and, and it's, it's pandemic proof. We don't have the seasons like, like, you know, some of the other transient businesses do. So it's, it's steady, you know, this market that we're in, in South Florida, it, it's a growing market. You know, there are going to be challenges in the future, you know, related to insurance and, costs of, of, of maintenance on, on, on these different buildings, but we evolve from that. And, and with all of those challenges comes actually more opportunities. So, so reach out to me, whether you are, a, you know, you're new in your career or you're tenured in your career, please reach out. You know, there's a lot of good opportunities. One of the cool things that our company does is we do take a, a very personalized approach when it comes to placing new team members. I'll use me for example. I, I was interviewing for six months, six months I was interviewing. And, and I think the interviews went really well, but it, it, it's because, you know, the company took a very personalized approach to place me in the right environment. And, and I, I've seen that since my first day with the company. And so we do that. We look at every interview as a, as a mutual benefit. You know, if, if, if we think we're going to get the better out of somebody, we don't usually bring that person in, but if the person thinks they're, better than us. We don't bring that person in. It, it, we really do look for that mutual benefit. So reach out to me via LinkedIn. I'm happy to share and learn more. I appreciate you being so open and honest with us. I know it means a lot to everybody listening. And once again, Nicholas, I appreciate you joining us. You're the man, Steve. Thanks for having me. Bye, everybody.
This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.